Amen. Thank you, Rose. As we uh, prepare to come to the Lord's table today, I invite you to turn back to that passage that Mike read, 2 Thessalonians 3, beginning in verse 6. I, I intended this, this series to review some characteristics of God that are particularly needed and helpful and, and revealing of who he is in times like these, uh, in these days in which we live. Uh, we have looked already at uh, how we can find in God and also how others then can find in us, his followers, uh, the characteristics of mercy and truth and forgiveness and hope. And uh, today, in observation of, of this Labor Day weekend, uh, I'd like to consider God's characteristic and, and then the Christ followers' characteristic of dedication. Uh, dedication. Uh, now, there's, there's different words to convey that idea uh, you could say dependability, you could say faithfulness, that's sort of the churchy word, you know, for it. You could say consistency, devotion, perseverance, um, but I chose dedication. And I'm going to give you the, the takeaway here right off the bat, okay? Here's the, the sermon in a sentence. <laughs> we can trust that God is utterly dedicated to his work and to his purposes, and so, the world ought to see that same sort of dedication in us, in we who follow Christ. We can trust that God is utterly dedicated to his work and to his purposes. And so, the world around us ought to see that very same sort of dedication in us. God's character, his way of doing things is filled with integrity. God does not walk away from his responsibilities. He does what he says he will do, and he does it on time, and he does it whether he feels like it or not, and he does it with excellence. That is just who God is. And because of that, because of God's dedicated character, we benefit we live peacefully and confidently because we know that God is on the job, if you will. You and I, we don't get up in the morning and wonder if there's going to be air for us to breathe today. Or if gravity is going to work today. Or if the sun is going to rise today. Uh, no, God sustains life, period. Just as he said he would do. We never have to wonder if God's character has changed or, or if he's in a bad mood today or if he's still out for our best and willing to help us. We don't have to wonder if what he said yesterday still applies today or if he has changed his mind about things based on how little sleep he got last night or whatever. No, God does not work that way. God does not change. Scripture tells us this. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Hebrews 13, 8. Every good and perfect gift comes from God who does not change like shifting shadows. James 1, 17. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Philippians 1, 6. The love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Lamentations 3, 22. You go on and on and on. Scripture affirms that God's character does not change. But not only does Scripture speak to God's dedication, life itself bears witness to it. Nature reveals it. Science declares it. Our spirits within us affirm it. In everything God is and about, God invests, Matt Zonheiser said this 20 years or more ago, this phrase, God invests the dignity of effort. I love that phrase. The dignity of effort. God does what he says he'll do, and he does it faithfully, consistently, and excellently. His character is one of dedication. And we, followers of Christ, and frankly, all the world, can count on that. That is the declaration. We and all the world can count on God's utter dedication to his work and purpose. That's the declaration. So then here's the implication, okay? The world around us should see that same sort of character in we who follow him. If we sit at the table of God, As his adopted sons and daughters. If we carry upon us the name of Jesus, God's son. Then we absolutely should share in his character. We should be faithful, consistent, devoted, dedicated. We should show up for the work that we are given to do. Whatever that is. It's our job. It's our calling. Our ministry. It may be our role as husband or wife or parent or child or student. We should show up for that, and we should show up on time, and we should do what we are called to do, whether we feel like doing it or not, and we should do it with integrity and with excellence and with the dignity of effort. To do less is not just to be less than God calls us to be. To do less is to choose to participate in the fallen nature of our world instead of participating in the redeemed nature of our Savior. That was Paul's message to the Thessalonian church. He wrote to make sure that they understood that work is not a consequence of the fall in Eden. Not at all. God put Adam and Eve in the garden To work it. What is a consequence of the fall in Eden is the human drive to get out of working. People work very hard at getting out of working. And that is a consequence of the fall and an evidence of the fallen nature. The tendency to laziness, to do as little as possible to cut corners wherever we can, even if those cut corners are illegal, immoral, dangerous, or harmful to other people. The drive to do the minimum. Why? So we can have more time to do what we like 
for our own pleasure. That way of thinking is a consequence of the fall. And it's part of humanity's fallen nature. And we all know it. We all know it. We've all either lived it in days past or we are living it today. We see it clearly all around us. We see it in marriages. We see it in families. We see it in businesses and in government. More than ever before, there seems to be this attitude washing over our society that says it is just fine to do the very least you can get away with doing. And hear this, please. That is completely contrary to the character of God. Completely contrary to the character of God. You want evidence of that? Look at creation. You know, God didn't have to make thousands of different kinds of birds and bugs and plants and animals. And he didn't have to make them with all the colors that they have. And in all the shapes and in all the sizes. They could all be one. There could be bug, bird, one shape, one size. And they could all be either brown or gray. God could have invested just enough effort to get the job done. Just enough to get by. But he did not do that. He invested the dignity of effort in the work that he did. And he did it for the sake of beauty and for the sake of love for us. And he did it for his own glory. For the sake of his own glory. Dedication to work and purpose is part of God's character. And it was part of human character before the fall. And part of the work of Jesus is to restore that part of God's character in us. You see, the Thessalonians needed to hear that. Because though they were forgiven, they were redeemed followers of Jesus, that part of their hearts had not yet been transformed. Some there were content to live off the labor of other people. Content to be idle, Paul writes. Now, granted, part of that was due to their thinking that Jesus was returning at any moment. And so they saw no need to to work and plan for the future and all that. That was their initial reason. But it became their excuse. Because as the weeks went on and the months went on, that proved not to be the case. But still, they were resistant to changing their habits. We know that. Because Paul had to address this issue twice. He does once in chapter 4 of his first letter. And here again, and more forcefully, in his second letter. And Paul wrote a similar thing to Timothy. So the problem wasn't just at Thessalonica. Actually, you can tell how significant the problem was by how much space Paul gives to it. Here in this very short letter. You can also tell how serious the problem was by the tone of of authority in his words. It was a big deal to Paul. And here's why. Once people who can work, and and that's who we're talking about here, okay? We're not talking about people who cannot work. We're talking about people who can work, able-bodied people. Once people who can work get used to living off the work of other people, it's very hard to reverse that course. That's why the welfare mindset passes through generations like DNA. 
To change that way of thinking usually takes nothing less than the transforming work of Jesus in a person's mind and understanding. That's why government welfare programs alone almost never make any lasting change in people. In fact, helping people to not work usually causes them to become disruptive. That's Paul's word for it in verse 11. Their idleness led them to that. You see, welfare programs alone, or or you can call them giveaways, you can call them transfer payments, whatever you want to call them, almost always perpetuate more welfare programs. Because once people get used to not working, it almost always takes nothing less than spiritual transformation to turn that around. Because it involves the realization, the conviction, that followers of Jesus cannot simply live their lives always taking from others. Because that approach to life is completely out of step with the giving character of the God who redeemed them. If Jesus had chosen to just slide by in life, doing only the minimum, never giving, The dignity of effort. Where would you and I be today? That approach to life is always contrary to the character of God. And we who bear Jesus' name cannot be found in that camp. Paul says Christians shouldn't even associate with people who won't see the truth in this. Not to to destroy them or hurt them, but so they might come to their senses. It's a redemptive sort of separation. That's how big of a deal it was to Paul. And it speaks of how unhealthy the environment was in that place. The fact is, taking to heart this message of dedication to work and purpose, it really could be one of the most culturally transforming things the church could ever do. More and more, the prevailing notion in our society today is to avoid work if possible. And if not, then just do the least we can, the least we can get away with. How powerful could the Christian witness be if followers of Jesus actually follow Jesus in doing the absolute best job we can at whatever we are given to do? Above and beyond, going above and beyond, giving all we do the dignity of effort for the sake of the glory of God. How powerful could the Christian witness be? How different would we be from most of us, from most of the people around us? Such that when our boss or or our teacher or whoever notices this comes to us and says, you know, everyone else here is just sort of slogging along, but you're different. You're you're invested and you're dedicated. How come you're so engaged when everybody else is just squeaking by? We could look at him and say to him, well, that's just the nature of the God that I serve. That's the character of the Savior who chose to die for my soul. Talk about countercultural. I mean, think of it. All the strategies and the complicated plans the church has come up with through the years for evangelism. What if the most powerful witnessing tool to our culture was simply Christians actually showing up for work, working hard, returning people's messages, being on time, doing our duty, 
as spouses and children and parents and church members, not expecting a handout, giving the dignity of effort for the sake of the success of somebody else, whether it's our employer, our spouse, our family, ultimately for the sake of the glory of God. How might that sort of transformed soul transform our culture? How much did Jesus transform his culture? So here's the question. What part of your approach, what part of my approach to life and work does not reflect God's dedication to purpose? What part of our approach doesn't meet with Jesus? Where in our thinking about work does God want to make us more like himself? More like Jesus, who, who remember, being in very nature God, chose to make himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant, humbling himself even to the point of becoming obedient to death even on a cross. That is dedication to purpose. (laughs) That is the character of God. And that's the character God wants all of us to share in for the sake of his glory in our world. It was just that sort of dedication that Jesus showed the night around the table with his friends The days that were coming, he knew they were going to be hard. They were going to be unpleasant. That's an understatement. And he knew that all of those friends around the table, they were going to leave him in one way or another. But Jesus had this job to do. And so he gave himself to do it. We celebrate that as we come around the table today. Would you take that worship folder and in there somewhere is a green page with our communion liturgy on it.